0: the default of our culture and just kind of do what we Northwesterners do. And there's a reasonable and okay life in that reality. But if we really want to live in the fullness that God has called us to, there's some choices to make. One of those choices that we make is how we see ourselves. And so um, we reminded you a couple of weeks ago that we see ourselves as the children that we always were, but redeemed by God. This is our own Consuela. Yeah. I think you can kind of see, and I'd love to hear from her girlfriends we want this morning, but, you know, what does this kind of say? Is there a vision here, an image of who she is? I think there is. And I think if she teaches this morning, you may see this kind of royal queen. You're Esther. Well, that's perfect. Oh, that's fantastic. So that, how old were you? I was six. Okay, awesome. Yeah. But at this age, we're really... Easily emulating our heart and our desire and who we are. We're very open. Uh, we're, We're very trusting of people and of God. And through Jesus, we know that he calls us to come back to this level of innocence and trust and belief and hope, even though we wisely know we live in a broken world and there are things to watch out for. But we, as the redeemed of God through Jesus Christ, are called to be this person again, to be Esther again. Then last week we talked about a rule of life, and I appreciated what John Eldridge said about discipline, and I want to make a, a clarifying idea here. So a rule of life, we said, is a rhythm of spiritual disciplines which I choose to practice as a way of following Jesus in every aspect of life. And don't hear the word discipline here as, as a punishment, but more in the realm of, we would use that word in dieting and in an exercise, where we choose practices that push us, that cause us to grow, to become stronger, to become more self-controlled, to become the people we want to be. And what we want to do for the rest of this year is to talk about a rule of life. And so about every three to four weeks, we're going to introduce a new discipline or a new practice and encourage you to, to incorporate that practice in your life if you aren't already. So the discipline that we want to talk about today is specifically Sabbath or Sabbath keeping. And there's a lot in this. And so Consuelo and I are going to do it together. It's just that, that meaty that it takes two voices but before she says something, I just want to share this with you. Um, she is following in a long line of amazing women, um, and I've been doing a little study. In fact, all of your elders right now are studying this issue of women and leadership and teaching and authority and the church. Um, we know where we stand as a church technically, but we're starting to answer the question, are we living into the fullness of what God has called his church to be? And are we giving the space that God wants to give to all voices, not just male voices, and not just older voices, but young voices and the voices of women as well? And so today is a part of that. But I did want you to remember the voices God has already chosen in the past so in God's people as the nation of Israel, there was Miriam, who was a worship leader and a part of Moses' team. Abigail rescued a household from a foolish leader who was her husband, sadly enough. Uh, there's Esther. Esther is another w- woman who God used to deliver Israel, uh, in fact, saved the entire nation from extinction, the, ult- the ultimate Semitic, anti-Semitic king that wanted to destroy them all. And then I just recently read about Huldah, and if you have the time, I would encourage you to look her up and search her out. She is actually a prophetess who was a strategic part of the renewal that happened under King Josiah. He, they rediscovered the commandments of God, and they were seeking them out to see if this is something that they should do, and Huldah was actually one of the leaders who read the scrolls and was a part of that revival. And then in the people of God in the church in the New Testament, we have Anna, who was a prophetess at the... Uh, birth of Jesus. Philip, the evangelist who traveled throughout Judea, had four daughters who were known as prophetesses, prophets, female prophets. (laughs) And they were sought out by the church for prophetic words. Priscilla was a part of training Apollos, the teacher, with her husband. Junia and Phoebe were co-workers of Paul. They helped him in the discipleship of people and the leading of churches in their homes. And then we have Consuela, who is a part of Colossae Sherwood, and she's here today to help teach. So she's going to kick us off here on Sabbath.
1: No pressure. I don't have no to follow those things.
0: That was supposed to be encouraging. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, this morning I walked into church and just felt like so much joy and thankfulness, and I won't dwell on it too long or I'll get emotional, but I'm just really thankful for this community being so loving and supportive of me and of of everyone out there. Like I feel like this has just been a beautiful community for me and for a lot of other people. Um, So I'm just going to say kind of a few words to introduce the topic, um, and then we'll dive into kind of a review of what does Scripture say about Sabbath? But so first of all, um, this topic is really important to me right now because it's been a huge um, way that God's been teaching me about my life in the last several months, um, kind of over the last year, of how to be a person of rest and peace. And part of that was um, me choosing to take a Sabbath every week and that, that finding that that's necessary for life. And... Um, As we go into this topic, I feel like there's probably a lot of different backgrounds that are coming into this. I grew up in a really, uh, sabbatarian home where we kept the Sabbath every week, which meant there was lots of rules about what we could and couldn't do on those days. And it felt a little bit legalistic at times, um, but also very good intentioned. And, um, there's always... It's, hard, it's a hard balance to keep. So that's the background that I come from is you shall not work and take that very literally and you're not allowed to work on Sunday. And then for a while, I kind of threw that out a little bit and thought, okay, that's for the Old Testament, that's legalistic, and Sabbath is just kind of a nice idea. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of how I was living for a long time. And then just recently, God really convicted me that this is a gift for us, and it's really, really important. So... Um, The last thing that I'll say before we move into the next um, part is that rest and Sabbath, so we're going to be using those two terms. Rest is kind of the overarching concept, and Sabbath is one way that we rest and a rhythm of rest, and that it's not the same thing as just like having some R&R, like we're going to relax and chill for a while and get some good self-care in, Um, that that is not what we're talking about. Relaxation can be a part of Sabbath, but that rest that, that God offers, and Sabbath is, is so profound, and it's bigger than our circumstances, and it's something that gives us a sense of stability to face the future with confidence every single week, and that, that's a lot more than just taking a nap. So now um, Rick's going to start talking with the idea of rest in creation.
0: Yeah, so one way in which Sabbath is different than all the other disciplines is that it's something that God actually initiated even before the fall. Uh, Most of the practices we practice because we have the resistance of our own nature and we have the resistance of our own sin and the sin of others. And so we're we're pushing ourselves to be the men and women that we want to be. Sabbath is super unique in that it, it came before the fall. It was actually a part of creation. And so we read in Genesis 2, it says on the seventh day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy or different because it was the day when he rested from all of his creation. And clearly God was not exhausted at the end of six days, even though creation took a lot of energy. Uh, And I don't want you to get caught up today in in the six-day thing. This isn't science this morning. This is more philosophical so think of the six days in that way today so this seventh day was a period at the end of the work where he chose to rest and really enjoy what he had created one of the unique things is this was not the seventh day of mankind this is actually mankind was created on the sixth day so what does that make God's seventh day? it's our first day and there's a beautiful idea in this, in this that we actually would start the week in rest And what it is, is it's a sign of the trust that we have for God, that God has already done all of the work. When Adam and Eve showed up, there were no seeds to plant in the ground, and there was no tilling and weeding to do. The garden was complete, and they were able to begin their first day of life eating produce that had already grown. And this is a picture for us that God has done the work of creating life for us. And as New Testament Christians, this is doubly true, because Jesus has done the work of reconciling us to the Father, and he fills us with the Holy Spirit, so the work is done. And we stand today complete in Christ internally, and so we can rest. So God said, I want you guys to start out in rest, and I want you to trust me that I've done the work. This is much more than something for the body. It's actually more for the soul. And there's some deep relational ideas in here that we're going to get to. So Consuelo is going to take us through the relationship of God and Israel to the Sabbath.
1: Yeah, and I love how because God started in rest, he had his full attention to man, right? He wasn't busy creating things. They were just got to be together, which is pretty amazing. So God... um, makes a big deal of the Sabbath with Israel, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. And um, so before we get to this, um, the actual command itself, I think it's really important to think about the context that Israel was in when the Ten Commandments were given. So the Israelites were working under Pharaoh as slaves, right? And do you guys remember what they were building, what they were making? Anybody? Trivia? Trivia? Bricks, yeah. So they were making bricks, and if they weren't making them fast enough, Pharaoh was not happy, right? He wanted them to be making lots of them fast, and at one point he made them get the straw for it as well, and they're making these buildings to store all their treasures for their gods, right? And so in contrast to that, God says he opens the Ten Commandments with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, right? Right? You shall have no other God before me. So he's saying, I brought you out of that and distinguishing himself from the gods of Egypt, which were binding them in slavery. And so this command to rest is so countercultural in that time. And so he says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And it's amazing that he extended that to the whole household as well, that not only was he giving his people rest, but also saying anyone that's in your community also has that day of rest dedicated to me. And this I think part of the reason why this is so important because it created a pattern of dependence on God. Um, We can see this in the idea of the manna when he brings manna and he brings extra manna on the sixth day so that they don't have to gather on the seventh day and they get to start the week depending on God even though they didn't get manna that day. They They saved it, right? Trusting that God will bring manna again the next day. And... So by doing this, I think one of the biggest things that stands out to me and that God is um, saying through this Sabbath is that his relationship with his people is more important than what they do. And that this rhythm emphasizes being with God and being God's child, not doing something to earn the status as God's people and that that is so countercultural to that time of you please your gods if you make things for them if you make treasures and idols and if you burn sacrifices to them if you give to them and and over and over in the old testament god says i don't want i don't want x y and z i don't want your work i want your hearts and that in the sabbath he's saying i want you to stop every week and depend on me and be with me like we started together right in the garden um, and we see this in Isaiah as well anyway, this is the sovereign Lord the Holy One of Israel says only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved in quietness and confidence is your strength but you would have none of it so Israel kept straying away and God kept calling them back not to please him more and do more work but to rest in what he had already done And so it's a receptive posture that we take by keeping the Sabbath. And that brings us then to, after this command, what does Jesus' words um, have to say about that? And how does it fall in line with the gospel?
0: Yeah, so as is typical, you know, when God gives us something, uh, we start well. And then over time, it morphs. And it becomes something completely different. And that had definitely happened with all of the law, but in particular it happened with the Sabbath. Uh, The idea of the Sabbath was it was a gift, as Consuela said. It was an opportunity to realize God has done all the work and our life actually flows out of what he's done. A Sabbath is not an obligation to him, but a gift from him. And the leaders of Israel had turned it into a requirement and a law and they had all kind of rules around it, which were actually not flowing from the heart or the intention of God. And so Jesus reframes the Sabbath very well. And he did it in kind of a provocative way. He let his disciples do things that he knew would offend the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. He knew that they would be upset. Jesus tended to do a lot of his healing on Saturday, on the Sabbath day. And for them, that was work, and they didn't like that. And his disciples one, year, one day were walking through a field, and they were taking heads of grain, which technically is harvesting. Harvesting is work. You should not be doing that. And he really upset the Pharisees all the time. And Jesus was doing this, obviously, on purpose. So when we come to Mark, uh, Mark two twenty-seven twenty-eight. Jesus says, as the, uh, the leaders were complaining about this idea of working on the Sabbath, he said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. This is the New Living Translation, so it's a little bit of a fresh read. But again, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Jesus is working so hard to turn around this idea That had become so much of the Jewish tradition where we live as subservience to a God who requires us to work for him. And even today, we have this idea in the church that we're somehow working for God. And God is always saying, no, 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 no. I did all the work. I've provided for you. And now I want you to live a life that flows out of relationship with me, not a life that is in servitude to me. Now, I'm not contradicting, there are some ideas of serving God well, but it comes after we get down this idea that my life is in God, and that he's providing everything, and that my hands are full, and that our gifting is full, that we as a community are full of the gifts of God, so we live a life that flows out of, rather than an obligation to what God has asked us to do. So then Jesus ends with this phrase, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, And again, this infuriated the leaders because Jesus is constantly putting himself in as a leader. And that really is is what our following Jesus is all about, is getting away from being led by others and even being led by ourselves and stepping into the leadership of Jesus. Because Jesus leads from a place of benevolence and love and mercy and grace. He empowers us with everything that we need. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't first already fully equipped us for. So when we feel as though we're not equipped, we're actually living out of a sense of faithlessness and doubt. God, I don't believe I can do this. I'm not ready to do this. And he's gently saying, no, you are, because I've given you everything you need. I reconciled you to my father, so there's no longer guilt and shame in your life. I've filled you with the Holy Spirit. So there are some pretty supernatural capabilities within you just waiting for you to act. And so there's this invitation from Jesus to respond. Step out, follow me as I lead you. I am, Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. I am the Messiah, and I am Lord even of the Sabbath. The last thing I want to say about what the New Testament has to say is that God wanted this idea of Sabbath and rest to move beyond one single day. And actually to be a concept about the way we can and should live all of the time. So let's take a look at Hebrews and see what it says. It says, so God's rest. Now, let me give you some background to this. Think back to what Consuelo said about Israel and the idea that God offered rest and he offered the Sabbath and they didn't step into it. They didn't receive it. They didn't obey it. They didn't understand it. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they were disobedient to God. That's speaking of Israel. God made an offering. He gave Israel a new way to live. And if they had lived in the fullness of all that he had taught and given in the law, they would have been the most prolific, productive, and happy people on the planet because he had some incredible ideas in there about how to live, ways of hygiene and cleanliness and medical safety that we only now know why we do these kinds of things. And he gave it to them thousands of years ago, but they refused to enter into it. They said, God, I don't trust you. Your leadership, I don't trust. Started in the garden. Satan said to Eve, you can't trust the leadership of God. He's out to abuse you. He's out to use you. He's out to hide things from you. And this is humanity's lifelong curse This constant voice that tells us, don't trust God. He won't lead you in good places. He's got his own agenda. And Jesus came to say, no, I love you. I have an incredible plan for you. But it does require partnership and walking together. So now we have this beautiful invitation in the book of Hebrews after the church has been established in Jesus Christ. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. So since the time of Jesus, there's this constantly open invitation to any human or community of humans who will respond and who will say, God, I trust your leadership and I'm going to enter into this rest. And what this looks like is is a belief that God is sovereign, that God will overcome our enemies, that God will provide what we need in his timing and that we can rest in, in who he is and what he's done. So God said another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. So for us, this is the invitation, and Consuela's going to fill out the rest of that idea.
1: Yeah, so I love how Sabbath points us to an invitation back to the garden, right? Through, through the gospel, through Christ's death, we have an invitation to go back to that rest and that intimacy of walking with God in the garden and so the question now is if, if that invitation is for today how can we live into that and I think that there are well I know that there are a lot of barriers in our culture to that rest um, we are not a culture that does rest well because we are constantly working and constantly stressed and constantly um Honestly, yeah, just stressed. Like, we are very stressed people. And there are a lot of things that, in consumerism and things in kind of a culture that really values productivity and achievement that keep us from truly, I think, entering this rest that God speaks of. And so how can we change from a place of living in survival mode of just getting to the next day and feeling kind of worn out, burnt out every single day to a place where we're living from a place that's full. And so the Sabbath is the idea that we are filled by God first, and we go from that place. And for me, this was a really important concept because, as most of you know, I'm in grad school full-time, and last year I really hit a burnout point because it was a lot for me to handle, of going to school full-time. So I had two days of clinical work and then three days of classes, and I was working a part-time job. And so I just didn't get a day off, Um, much less a Sabbath, because a day off usually is filled with doing errands and everything you have to do because you can't do them the other days, right? So I was on that burnout um, stage, and I felt God convicting me that I... He wanted me to be a person of peace and not a person of anxiety and striving. So I asked God, "Okay, will you please show me how to do that? Is it even possible to be in grad school full time, getting your doctorate, being involved in church, and having a social life, and being a person that's peaceful and restful and sane?" Um, that's a real question, if you know. And moms, moms, you get that question too. I mean, how can you? be a mom of small children maybe not sleep very much through the night and still be a person of peace that's full every single day and every week. And one of the things that I felt like God said was keep my Sabbath. I gave you a (laughs) Sabbath for rest. Okay. Like it's just one of those things that I feel like we just dismiss it so easily as a, even as a mainstream Christianity in America, we don't take a Sabbath and it kind of blows my mind when I look around and I see everybody go, coming in this state of emptiness sometimes, right? Um, so God said, yeah, keep, keep my Sabbath. So what does that look like? I know for me, it looks like keeping the day unplanned. So, and also, you know, Sabbath for some people can't be on Sunday if they work. So maybe it could be a Saturday or a Friday or a Monday afternoon, something like that. Um, for me, it's Sunday because I don't ever have school or work on that day anymore, and so not making plans, keeping that open, and then doing something that is intentional. So there's a difference, right, between just taking a nap and or checking out, playing video games, and intentionally um, enjoying life-giving time with someone. Um, when Rick and I were talking about this, I said it's kind of like taking a nap at the end of the day because you literally can't stand anymore and you're so tired versus being on vacation and taking a nap with your best friend in a hammock. <laughs> like, the the Sabbath is more like taking a nap with Jesus, right? Or doing something that is relational and filling and that honors God in that way and fills you in an intentional way, not just, oh, I'm exhausted, I'm going to have a day off. And this, I, I, I want to make it so that this feels like a, a possibility for everyone. And I know... For moms, it can be really hard. For parents in general, but especially moms, I feel like it's hard to have a day off or a a Sabbath. And so um, that can look different for a lot of people. But as a community, I think it's something that we really could make a part of our daily rhythm, and it's going to require sacrifice. So it requires giving up sometimes social um, get-togethers. Maybe it requires um, doing all of your grocery shopping um on Saturday and eating, you know, cold cut sandwiches on Sundays just so that you can have maybe 4 hours that's your sabbath time when the kids nap and that's your intentional sabbath time. And I was curious to hear from you guys, what are some activities that you feel like really fill you up or are life-giving? Crafting. Crafting, that's awesome. Yeah, I actually I love to sew on the Sabbath. That's like my time to sew. <laughs> yeah, my roommates can t- tell you I had it all out <laughs> all year uh, last semester. Uh, what else? Movies. I'm <laughs> a movie addict. Wonderful. <laughs> Movies? That's great. What else? It's
0: crafting without
1: a seat. Rafting. <laughs> Rafting, okay. <laughs> Raise your hand if just being in nature, hikes, walking, that, yeah. I feel like there's something about getting out in nature that really is life-giving. Yeah, so those are some examples. And again, I really hope that this is an invitation into life that is thriving and might require some discipline and some sacrifice, but that is actually closer to being like Christ and closer to what God wants for us than just being in survival mode. And I can tell you because of the way that God's helped me change that it really is very much life giving and very much how what we can live out of and what gives me honestly a lot of strength to do the work that I do and also that can bring us closer to God. We all, I think everyone in this room is probably here partly because they have a desire to be closer to God and that God invites us to have this time with Him that's intentionally set aside every week to rest and to depend on him and to resist against the anxiety in the culture around us. And that this practice really can bring us closer to God as a community and as families. And so I hope that this is something that, that we can make part of a rhythm together. And so lastly, I just wanted to read this quote. It says, In our, contemporary, in our own contemporary context, the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath— is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of goods. Such an act of resistance requires enormous intentionality and communal reinforcement. So as we begin worship today, I just thought it would be great to think about what it might look like for you as an individual or your family to take a Sabbath. And what might that require? What changes might that require? Or maybe a lot of you are already doing this, and that's great. Um, but yeah, what, what things could you do, and what ways could you make this a rhythm in your life?
0: As you're thinking about that, uh, two words I'm, I'm hearing from you that I think are important. One is protection, and, and the other is preparation. Mm-hmm. So Sabbath is a space that we protect. So as you said, we don't plan other things. We protect it, and if somebody says, hey, can you do this on this day? Uh, you would make an exception. to to make. You would say, actually, no, I'm already scheduled that day, that this would be a place you protect. And I think the other thing you mentioned was preparation, Uh, especially you prepare the whole family. So if you are a family, it's a time to prepare your kids and say, hey, this afternoon is our Sabbath afternoon, and this is a time for mom and dad and you all to rest together. So we need your help and you invite your kids to not be needy of mom and dad for a couple of hours (laughs) so that mom and dad can also be resting. So what does it look like to carve out a piece of time to protect and then how do you prepare so that that happens? You talked about a simple meal and I know our tradition in the German community I grew up in was this thing called Faspa which was a Sunday afternoon meal, and we got to eat swibok, which are the most incredible potato rolls, and cold cuts and cheese and some treats, and we looked forward to that. But the good news was it all got prepared on Saturday, so that we just pulled it out of the fridge. So what can you do to protect a Sabbath time, and what can you do to prepare, and what kind of activities might you do in it? What are are some of your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a lot of wisdom. And if this does sound tremendously impossible for you, that would be the encouragement, is carve out two hours and just say, can we pull off two hours? Try that for a month. And then, hey, maybe we could go to three or four and see how it goes. Other activities or ways to prepare or protect? I meet every Saturday from 8 to 9.30. That time is up limit. Mm-hmm. Um, with um, five to six other guys um, that. every Saturday we study God's word we share prayer requests we actually pray mm-hmm. <laughs> you know a lot of people write down prayer requests and then they get slipped away and we forget to pray for each other so we actually uh, pray
1: for one another so. that's beautiful and I love that that's in community that you have people that you're doing that with every week what else? We have a um, Sunday habit of going by to see my dad.
0: After church. At today. Spend hmm. time dad. Yep. Yeah, it's good. It's the relational. It's, it's something different that's not a daily activity. Matt? I always have a. It's great the original sabbath was actually practiced from sundown to sundown uh-huh. and that's where trisha and i are headed is to, on friday night to start at that dinner and then that evening until through dinner on saturday and then that allows saturday night can finish getting ready for sunday but you've got to look for the rhythm that works in your life
1: yeah and that is what i do saturday night to sunday kind of evening because I have to get ready for the next day. And so, but it's nice to know you have that that time that's going to be set aside.
0: So a huge part of the kitchen. So a lot of times we need to load Sometimes we need writing down the to do list okay. hmm
1: There you go. Right. And that speaks to the resistance of the anxiety of I have this to do list, but I'm gonna take the trust that it takes to sit with that anxiety for a day and give it to God, <laughs> which is hard to do. <laughs> um, but knowing that you can take that to-do list and give it to God is, is a discipline in and of itself. Yeah, And how, how awesome would that be for your mental health too to practice giving up that anxiety and that stress every single week?
0: And yet that's the deeper part of what it is to practice Sabbath is to get to a lifestyle of trust, where it's not just one day a week, but it's actually 24-7, or 18, I guess, if you want to sleep, you know, 18-7, of trusting God, that God is with me, that God is prepared, that anxiety actually, I can actually catapult. I don't actually need to be anxious at all. In the midst of brokenness and hard things, God is there, yeah. Are we good? All right. Well, it is time to pick up your kids, if you have preschoolers, before you, as you go, uh... We want to encourage you to take the next month and consider this idea of Sabbath, and it sounds as though there's already practice going on, which is fantastic, but how can you take us another step forward in more fully practicing it and seeing it not just, again, as, as these ideas of just not working, but actually truly trusting the, the, uh, all that God has done for us. How do we depend on Him fully all the time and live in that rest? And we'll be talking about it hopefully in community and, and offline and setting that into our rhythm of life, so let's Let's worship together, Uh, let's sing some songs, let's give glory to God and ask him to speak to us while we worship about what it looks like for us to obey.